0: All right. Welcome to the Coogan Chronicles podcast, a podcast where two former child actors interview other former child actors about what it was like for them growing up in the spotlight. I'm your co-host, Chris Marquette. And I'm AJ Trouth. And we really appreciate you guys all being here with us for this conversation. AJ, why don't you start us off? Why don't you tell us a little something people might not know
1: about kid actors? You know, I think this is important because it just frames the conversations that we're going to be having. So child labor in the United States is not something we really think about anymore. It's really gone the way of the dodo bird. And if you're curious about what those child labor laws are a little bit, there are three ways that you can legally work in the U.S. as a kid. You can work for the family business. Pretty simple. My father owned a guitar store growing up. I used to ring people up for guitar strings and picks and that sort of stuff. Uh, You can also be a newspaper delivery kid. You can ride your bicycle and throw papers at people's doors. Sounds antiquated, I know, but it's still happening someplace. Someplace, Uh, yeah. And then the third option is you can be a kid actor. (laughs) You can work on multi-million dollar productions with tons of responsibility, tons of money on the line and those are your three choices those are the three options there's really no gray area that's the thing there is a gap there
0: between newsy and possible gigantic movie star (laughs) there's a real
1: there's a real stretch there and i'm just wondering how did this come to be Uh, i mean there's two versions in my head the one version probably makes the most sense which is it, the entertainment industry is a, a very lucrative industry, and there are certain projects where it's absolutely imperative that you have a super talented child performer. Like The Sixth Sense is nothing without Haley Joel Osment. That movie True. does not exist. So that I get. Now, the other option is that there is a lobby group of stage moms and kid actors that are lobbying Congress, and they just desperately want to perform and put on a show. And they've somehow convinced Congress to, to be able to do that. I mean, an army of
0: stage moms sounds terrifying. It I would sounds, love to see it. I would love to see it. I, just an image of that, I think, will keep me up at night. But you were saying to you the first option, which with the entertainment industry being such a lucrative industry and there being projects that need, that rely completely on the participation of a child, that. Probably the strongest possibility for how child labor laws exist the way they do is that at some point, companies or or, you know studios, movie studios that have vested interest in child performers lobbied Congress somehow or got these laws put into place. That was your point?
1: Yeah. And I think that it would be amazing to really get to the bottom of it and know for certain because regardless of which scenario it is, it's carved out in the law. I mean, it's explicitly carved out because it's the only thing under the age of 12 that you can do.
0: Yeah. There's no vague terms about it. It's very specific. Yeah. 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 Well, I really look forward to getting to explore this in the genesis of these of these laws as as, uh, our podcast moves on. I wanted to read people a little something just on a basic internet search that I found right off the bat on Wikipedia. They have a page for child actor, just the term child actor very short page, but in it, a couple things stood out to me. It said, many child actors find themselves struggling to adapt as they become adults. Plain and simple. Oh, that's tough. It is tough. It is tough and probably true, but you know, we're going to find out. to, To be outed that way on Wikipedia. Yeah. Just play like a fact about child actors. Yeah. But this one's even more, this one really stood out to me the most. And it says here, The failure to retain stardom and success and the exposure at a young age to fame has caused many child actors to lead adult lives plagued by legal troubles, bankruptcy, and drug abuse. Man, that's terrible. It's terrible. But that is why I want to read it is that is the stigma. You know, that is the stigma of the child actor. I feel like that is the watermark thought over in most people's minds over every child actor. I think you're right. Yeah, I think, I think so. I think it's like, it's like the world's always waiting for a former child actor to smoke meth, stab their mother and end up with a mugshot that you can wear on a t-shirt. You know, it's like, that is the, the quintessential story. And I really believe quite honestly, I believe in my heart that for every one of those stories that you hear or know about that there are 10,000 other stories to the contrary, or at least Completely different, where someone has not been to jail, you know, or has not struggled with, as they say, bankruptcy, drug abuse, and legal troubles. You know, as you and I, right, we're trying to come up with our title for this podcast. We chose the Coogan Chronicles because of what's called a Coogan account that every child actor has. You know, do you want to tell people about Jackie Coogan a little bit and the formation of the Coogan account?
1: Sure. So, Jackie Coogan, he wasn't the first child actor, but He was the first child actor in cinema. So he was working in silent films. He was the first child actor in cinema to make millions of dollars. In the
0: 1920s. Right. And so his
1: main claim to fame was playing the title role of the kid in Charlie Chaplin's The Kid and instantly became a, a major movie star after that came out, made a ton of money, was really successful as a child. And when he turned 18, he found out that his parents had spent all of his money. There was nothing left. and it was then through I guess Congress, or some some type of state legislature that they passed a law called the Coogan Law, which required child performers to establish a bank account called a Coogan account that would then house fifteen percent of every dollar made by young performers in essentially a trust account that was only accessible once they turned 18. And that was to protect these young performers from their parents or their legal guardians spending all their money at the horse track or whatever they were doing with it. Misusing it or, yeah, just not saving it for them. Yeah, to not do what Jackie Coogan's parents had done. Yeah, and I think that that story, the story of Jackie Coogan, puts this trinity together of the world child actors find themselves in, uh, unbeknownst to themselves. And we don't even know that we're entering into it. And that is that you have to establish a bank account in order to work as a child, because w- essentially what they're telling you is that your parents may try to steal from you. Yeah. <laughs> None of us have that relationship with our parents before that point. And then the second thing is, and we don't know this as young performers, that the rest of the world thinks of you as future clickbait potentially. Yeah, future train wreck. Yeah, that you're going to have. Oh, yeah, you're successful now on that kids show or that television show, but just wait, we're going to be really liking to see this this you know train crash, and people are just waiting for what that headline news story is going to be. And then the third is that child labor is illegal in this country (laughs) across the board, except for this one carve out, and that's the world you're entering into. So we're wide eyed. We have all of this. This hope and aspiration and we're pursuing our dreams and that's all true but there's other stuff going on in the wings on the sidelines that as young performers most of us are completely unaware of and i know for completely yourself unaware yeah we, you and i both had very good experiences for the most part as as kid actors mm-hmm. and we didn't suffer these major issues. I mean, there's some things, you know, some things that we'll, we'll get into, but I just think it's a really interesting foundation upon which all young performers stand before they even go on their first audition, all of this job is stacked against them.
0: Well, that's true. If you're If you're going to delve into performing as a kid professionally there, it is synonymous with these things. There's just no way around it. It's attached to you no matter what you do, no matter where you're from. And no matter who your family is or what your real aspirations are, this is just this comes along with the territory. It really and it's does. not
1: new, Chris. This isn't new because of social media. It goes to back to the beginning. It Goes it back goes to, to the, the very beginning. Films. And, and just a little w- quick side
0: note: I tried really looking into who was the first kid actor, the first child performer, and the only real thing I could find is apparently back in Shakespeare's days, they had kids play kids in some of Shakespeare's plays voluntarily, kids who want to be actors. There's no real information past that, except there was this little tidbit I found that said occasionally kids were kidnapped and forced into becoming kid actors in little like acting troop camps to perform Shakespeare. That's the only other thing. I don't know if we'll find out as time goes by more about that, but that seems to be the oldest kid acting knowledge that's out there. So this is a subject I think that is Perhaps way more complex than people give credit to. I think way more interesting than people might think about right off the bat. And that I I think is going to lend a really nice facet to these conversations that we're going to have with former kid actors. So, AJ, why don't we just tell people about us? Uh, I think off the bat, I can tell people, you know, you and I have been best friends since we were teenagers for over 20 years now and counting. And we met at Oakwood Apartments, which is for anyone that's not familiar with that is a like a little mini city of apartment buildings in Los Angeles where child performers of all kinds come from all over the United States and all over the world to pursue their big dreams of being child professional actors and singers and dancers and musicians and filmmakers and on and on and on. Uh, And you and I met there. It's a really unique place. Everyone should. <laughs> it is.
1: Everyone should visit at some point. If they you should were... do
0: like a universal backlot tour through, <laughs> like, and that's where Macaulay Culkin lived, and that you know that should be. An I feel actual... like
1: either one of us could host that. We could get on a golf cart and put guests in there and give them a tour of Oakwood. Give them a little them tour of
0: Oakwood and all the history of it. Yeah.
1: Well, that's where we met, and
0: you know, or we met, you know, a few years into being in Los Angeles. But before we met, why don't you tell us, when was the first time you think you decided as a kid that you wanted
1: to be an actor? Well, it's strange that I can specifically remember this. I was sitting on the couch at my father's house. My parents were divorced. I'm staying at my dad's house. I'm about 10 and a half years old, sitting on the couch watching Can't Hardly Wait, (laughs) starring Ethan Embry and Jennifer Love Hewitt. It's a classic, Classic. uh, a 90s classic for anyone that hasn't seen it. That won a lot of Oscars, didn't it? you know, I'll have to get back to you on that. I'm not sure. But the thing with this movie, watching it at that age, I just had this feeling. It almost gives me goosebumps just thinking about it now, this feeling of being so, so it's weird, being so moved by it. I just <laughs> love this movie and this story, what these people were going through. I, I was just so just totally floored. And I felt like I have to make movies. I have to be a part of this thing. And when you're that young and you don't know anything about movies, watching it, I decided that, well, I want to be an actor, of course, because that's the only thing I could see. So I didn't know there were all of these other jobs. I just saw the actors and, well, I got to do that. And I had no relationship to acting at all. When I decided this, I didn't do school plays. I wasn't in acting class. Did you know any actors? No, no. No. All I knew is I had this feeling watching a movie and I want to be a part of that. So then I want to be an actor. I didn't know if I would like acting. I I had no idea. And And how does
0: that segue into you getting a headshot and an agent and pursuing it like a profession?
1: The first step at that age is announcing to my parents that this is what I want to do, right? So it's like, okay, I guess this is AJ's new thing. Then my mother said, hey, I was driving in the car and I heard a radio ad for an acting class in town. Would you like to go? Absolutely. So I went to this acting class. And then one thing just led to another and led to another where I went to an acting class and my family was living in Las Vegas at the time. And before you know it, I was living in Los Angeles with an agent and going on auditions for commercials. Uh, and it just, it all happened really quick, but that's the the story that's of the genesis uh, yeah, of deciding that I wanted to be an actor. But what I'm curious to know is h- how did you decide you wanted to be an actor? Because I know that you started acting at around four. So before you could read, Yeah, <laughs> but I'm sure it wasn't a conscious decision on your part. So at some point, In the middle of your acting career, you must have decided that this is what I want to do. What was that like? I did. I also don't want to skip over. I've got a great Jennifer Love
0: Hewitt story that has nothing to do with Can't Hardly Wait, but profoundly affected my life. Um, That that I'll tell you in a second. But I did start acting at four, so I was obviously not a conscious decision at all. I started performing. My mother, we were my whole family and I. We lived in Plano, Texas, outside of Dallas, and all the kids in preschool we're going to these like modeling, acting, singing, dancing classes, like an extracurricular sport. And I think my mom just signed us up just just because she kind of always told us that a lot of people said, your kids are so cute. I have two little brothers. I'm the oldest of three. And so me and one of my younger brothers went together and she would just bring us these little things. And she always told us that we really enjoyed it. We just thought it was a really great time and very similar to you it just snowballed it just kind of went from classes to an agent somehow to headshots to real auditions real jobs real money real commitment real time and effort and um you know there's a long long trajectory from that place but that's the genesis yeah because you know i'd been acting essentially longer than i'd gone to school so for me it was an interesting decision i think later on in my teens to kind of decide to actually do it, despite the fact that I had done it for so long anyway, where I could be more conscious about it, about what I was doing. And I think I actually had to do that multiple times throughout my life, maybe even last year as well, you know, where I've been doing it so long in my, my whole life really, that I have to always find a place where I I have to ask myself really honestly and deeply if it's something I truly care about and why, and. Figure out if it is worth continuing or continuing in the same way. So I'd probably say to relate it to your story of sitting there watching a movie. I think I was about 15 years old and I was on location filming this cheesy horror movie. And someone from the cast showed me Taxi Driver. So me showed me the movie Taxi Driver. And I don't think I'd ever seen a movie anything like it. Up until that point, my understanding of cinema was Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. And so I finally saw Taxi Driver and it blew my mind. And I had no idea that I was in a world where that was possible, that I was uh, you know, being an actor, that that was even a possibility in life. And that really dramatically altered, I think my own aspirations and my own passions and my own conscious decision to, to continue to be an actor. Side note with Jennifer Love Hewitt real fast, which is all throughout middle school, from about 10 to 13 years old, I had Jennifer Love Hewitt's pictures cut out and glued onto every binder I had in school. And then when I was uh, 15 or 16, I got to go to some weird party because I did some project and some actor invited me to some party. And I showed up with my father and Jennifer Love Hewitt was there. Mm -hmm. And there was a little dance floor in the middle of this party. And my dad and I awkwardly being the only people that weren't in their 20s here, just stayed off to the side for an hour, staring at this dance floor. And I was mesmerized, obviously, with Jennifer Love Hewitt. And she had no idea that I was like a little show killer with all these cutout pictures and drawings and love notes all over my schoolwork uh, of her. And she turned around to me and she looked me directly in the eye and she gave me that little finger of like, come here, Chris, come here. And I thought I was going to die and pass out. And I wasn't even sure if she was looking at me. And so she got brave enough. She walked all the way over to me, took my hand and pulled me onto the dance floor. And uh, that might also be the second reason I decided I'm going to continue to be an actor (laughs) because that was the greatest experience of my 15
1: year old life. My favorite part of that story, Chris, is you say she gave you the come hither motion. And then you say, she got brave enough to come yeah, over
0: exactly. and ask me because I'm sure the look on my face was not inviting. I'm sure I was. So, I mean, I'm for sure peed my pants a little. So I, I I doubt she looked charmed by my reaction to that. And it'd be a little off-putting to see this little kid that's been Googling at you all night. You go, hey, come dance with me. And he's just frozen with fear. Uh, she got brave enough to not ignore me. She
1: mustered up the courage Sweet to come Jennifer. over and ask young just Marquette to dance. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: so you segue. so you start doing this professionally and tell me a little bit about, tell us all about what you enjoyed the most about being a kid actor. What were the things you enjoyed the most?
1: You know, the first thing that stands out to me is that feeling of having a goal and achieving it. it it's so cool. It's the first time in my life where I had experienced that, where you have, this very lofty ambition, something that you decide that you want to do. And you go through these systematic steps and somehow you wind up... And mine was so specific. I wanted to be on a Disney Channel television show. That was what I wanted to do. And when I found myself on the set of Even Stevens, all of that stuff coming together, I was like, just blown away, as one would be. That was a a really cool experience. And then just building off of the Even Stevens thing, that experience is so unique. Being a child actor already is, is very unique. Being an actor in general is a unique career to pursue. And then within entertainment or within filmed entertainment, to be a series regular on a television show that goes for multiple seasons with the same cast and the same crew is a very unique experience within entertainment. And I'm really grateful to have had that experience. For me, that was the thing. And so that was so great. And then there's also getting to travel for work. Like I have I went to Romania and I went to New Zealand. I never would have visited those countries, I don't think. They're, for me, they were so off the beaten path, but just had an incredible time and got to see these places, and getting to see those places for an extended period of time. Like for example, in New Zealand, I was there for two months shooting a Disney Channel original movie, and that's just something that's unique to this this industry and, and this lifestyle. And, and I really enjoyed that. And then th- there's this feeling that comes from booking a job. I don't know what the equivalent would be outside of the entertainment industry, but you try so hard, you go on tens or hundreds of auditions and you're constantly being rejected and told no, 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 no. And then when you finally book a job and your agent and your manager both call you on the phone and say that you got it, it's such a high, it's so exhilarating. And with you know some of these jobs, some of these phone calls that you get, your life changes like when the phone call came in for even stevens like that that changes your life Um, dramatically yeah Yeah. Uh, so that experience is super cool too now what that's doing to my later life like screwing up my dopamine levels and what my expectations (laughs) are and other things who knows
0: And where you find validation and how you deal with rejection. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're
1: just like, we're laying the groundwork for a whole host of issues that need to be worked out in your early 20s. Well, yeah, apparently with
0: Wikipedia, it's bankruptcy, legal troubles, and drug abuse. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I know. I totally
0: get that. I don't know if maybe for athletes, it's where you, you know, you win a match, you know, of some kind, you win a trophy, you're at the end of the season, you're the champion. You know, I, I don't know what else, yeah, you really can equate it to, but I imagine it's a lot of that. I imagine you work really hard at school and you get an A plus. You know you do a test yeah. and you're and you're really happy with the with the outcome but it'd be like that if you were doing tests and you were getting f's for three years and then you finally got an a you know so i, I get that there's there is an exhilarating factor to being a, a kid actor did you guys ever do anything special when you booked a job when you got it when something came through did you guys go out to dinner Did you guys go do something
1: Gosh, that's a, that's a great question. I I do that now and you and I, it's something that you and I do together now, Mm -hmm. but I don't recall that as a kid. Did you guys do something like that? Oh yeah, no, that was our, what was your ritual go
0: to, we would just go to KB toy stores and I would buy star Wars action figures. (laughs) So that
1: was, I was just allowed one more star Wars action figure. Chris, before we get too far off here, what were some of the Mm -hmm. things that you enjoyed as, as a kid actor?
0: Um, I think a lot of the things you mentioned, and I really enjoyed the unpredictability. I, I really, actually, more than anything, I enjoyed two big parts of being a kid actor. One was I really enjoyed finding out I could do something that I had no idea I could do prior, mm. and that was just that was a lot of my experience. Child acting was, you know, I would get some audition and they'd say, uh, "It's they need him to be a mime." can he mime? And I was like, uh, sure. And then I would (laughs) go try it out and do it and, uh, sometimes do it well, sometimes fail miserably, but you know, I could do things that were really surprising to myself and to my parents. Um, my parents have no affiliation with the entertainment industry like yours. And so we, you know, there was not a lot of training before we endeavored into this stuff. I didn't. So for me, a lot of my experience was, I I mean, you know, one time they said, you know, that we can get an audition for, this, uh, I don't know, it was like some weekend event for Valentine's day at Carnegie hall to be a singer, but they're like, can he sing opera? Like, like falsetto opera. And my mom was like, uh, sure. And then, and then I did. And then it went well enough to where I went and did this job for a weird weekend. So the, the unpredictability, but more so the, not just the unpredictable nature of what's around the corner for you as a kid actor, but you know, some of the things I I just had to jump into willingly and fullheartedly was always really fun for me because I just found myself doing so many things. I got to play a boxer. I skateboarded, I danced. I, you know, there were so many strange things that I I found really fun and new, and then maybe I never even did again right after that. So, you know, so that was a good part. I think the other part too, was my parents own the things that they loved about movies or television, sometimes I got to be a part of these things. Like for instance, that boxing thing I just mentioned, my dad was a huge boxing fan and I grew up a huge boxing fan alongside him. And so one day I got to work with Muhammad Ali, and got to play a young boxer that Muhammad Ali was looking after. And it was my, one of the greatest days ever for my dad to bring him to set and him meet Muhammad Ali. And that experience overall, like with my, when my family comes into the fold, all of a sudden, were always really stand out to me as, as such amazing, important parts. Cause it wasn't just a solo endeavor. I didn't suddenly just disappear on a set. The times where they were part of it with me, was that I did a soap opera and my mom was like a soap opera junkie who had those stacks of soap opera digests all over the house in every bathroom and (laughs) just like hiding in corners. And so when I got to do a soap opera, it was my mom's dream come true, you know, and all it meant really for me is another day and another set, but I, I being there with her was so nice. It was so nice uh, to share that experience. Yeah. So, so those things really stand out to me. Um, and, and what else? So you you talked about even Stevens, you talked about a movie you did in New Zealand. Tell people a little bit more about perhaps all
1: the work that you kind of did as a kid actor and all, all the different things. Man, there's so many forgotten projects. You know, there's so much stuff we do as kid actors. Like you, I know that your resume is totally insane, but do, do you have the projects that you do that people remember you from and that you will forever be the kid or the guy from that one show? So For me, that was the work I did for Disney Channel. But as a young actor, there's so many other things that you do, like commercials. I think I did a couple of commercials. I wasn't a commercial kid. But I did a whole slew of guest stars, like we all did. This was just the industry, like in the early 2000s. So you do numbers, and you do Seventh Heaven, and you do house, and you do CSI, and you do Ghost Whisperer, I got to work with Jennifer Love Hewitt at one point, which was a really big deal. Jennifer, uh, we
0: love you. <laughs> yes, but, uh, this whole episode is. <laughs> so that
1: was a lot of my career. I mean, I worked almost exclusively on television. I did a, a couple of movies here and there, but but nothing that people would, would really remember. You also pursued music as well. That was a big part of your life too. You know, it was a huge part of my life, It, it like 14 Uh, On the set of Even Stevens, I started playing guitar and then got really heavily into music and dedicated so much time to it and wrote many songs and did a lot of recording and did a lot of playing out, hours and hours and hours of rehearsing with the band. Um, But I I never really saw anywhere close to the success that I saw as an actor. Uh, Mm. I so enjoyed it. It was so much fun and I had a lot of enthusiasm behind
0: it. You did music with your brothers and you did music, you guys all did music for the Disney channel at times,
1: right? Yeah. It was kind of looped in with your Mm -hmm. acting as well. Yeah. I think that there was a push to see, you know, how I could use some of the notoriety that I had achieved in acting to help push the music a little bit further. And it worked to an extent. And we did do some music for the Disney channel, which was cool, but it, then it just, kind of fizzled out, you know, the thing with music that was different than acting is in the acting world, you get an agent and that agent sends you on auditions. You go to those auditions, maybe you book it, maybe you don't, but there's like this very clear path of how to start working as an actor. And in music, it is, at least from my experience, not that way at all. It was Mm -hmm. so much more open-ended. All of the streets were very, very windy. There were a lot of detours, so many different ways that you could go the major pursuit of this for me was before youtube and a lot of the self-produced stuff was the the main thing to do so i i just didn't know how to to get it done i do have a very tenacious attitude in pursuing things that i set my mind to but i was lost i didn't know what to do and just got frustrated at a certain point and it, it certainly went on the the back burner Well, it's always lasted through our camping trips. You always manage to bring a guitar, and that always works out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's still very much uh, a satisfying part of my life, playing music, but it's it's not something I I pursue uh, professionally anymore. Um, But Chris, your experiences working as a kid were just insane. I know you touched on some of those major points, but perhaps elaborate a little bit more just to... Give people an idea of the scope of the different type of stuff you were working on. <laughs>
0: I guess so. If we want to do a four-part series, I can really, really dig my <sighs> dig my teeth in and, and get into it. But a quick Cliff's notes version, probably of my life as a kid actor, was really strange. I, I did so many weird things. It was just what literally whatever was there. We jumped in. And so I did everything from like America's Most Wanted reenactments and Barney the Dinosaur videos to uh, I did a Broadway play when I was nine years old that came over from London and was lauded by the critics and was directed by Stephen Daldry and had all these thespians of the theater. and and uh, I think one the day before I was doing like a goldfish commercial. And then all of a sudden I was on Broadway, you know, a few weeks later. And I did that for a couple years. I think the two main like film experiences I had growing up that stick out to me the most and I think changed my uh, life the most and stood out amongst all the the commercials and jingles and stuff like that because I did do a lot of commercials I also did do a lot of um, I sang all the General Mills jingles like you know Cocoa Puffs and Fruit Loops and Cheerios and all those things that was my voice growing up I want to put links to those in the show notes I want everyone to be able to see your jingle work We'll put them in there. There's a few commercials too that it was like a back to school commercial that came on every year, a Staples commercial that like every year come fall, end of summer, people would start pointing at me at, in, in the subway in New York when I was riding around with my parents and, uh, because, you know, there's, the commercial was suddenly out there again. So there was, yeah, there's a few little standout weird things, but I, I did a movie. I did two movies. One was called The Tick Code. TIC code and it, it was I played a young it was a story about a young jazz pianist with Tourette syndrome um, that Polly Draper, the actress wrote. and Gregory Hines was in the late Gregory Hines and I did that when I was 13. and that really um, changed my life. It was like the first like feature like real dense feature film that I'd been a, a major part of and uh, and played this really interesting character that uh, was really sophisticated and complicated. And I think at least it got me some attention and sort of moved my family around to from New York to Los Angeles and from kind of acting as like an extracurricular sport, similar to I played soccer growing up to, okay, you're a full-time actor now. This is like top priority. So, the, so that, that, that's one thing I worked on. The other thing probably people know though, is I, when I was 15 or 16 years old, I did this horror movie called Freddy versus Jason which was Jason Voorhees and Freddy Krueger fighting like ninjas. It was really, really silly and has has had a cult following ever since. And other than that, I didn't have, I never got the TV show. I did this cool show that Diane Keaton directed called Pasadena, which was really cool that Mike White wrote with all these really cool actors. And it was really short-lived and came and went. And so, you know, I was weirdly so busy all the time. And I don't know if I could point to any particular project besides those that anybody else would know me from or that followed me around. So, you know, you and I did have largely good experiences as kid actors, as you mentioned, but what do you think for you, what were some of the biggest challenges you went through because you were a kid actor, you know, or as a kid actor?
1: You know, I think there's a certain sense of, so for those of us that come out of town, there's a certain responsibility that you bear or that I certainly felt. And not because anybody put it on me, not because... My parents were telling me, you better succeed at this. That wasn't the case at all, but something I did to myself, I just felt a certain sense of responsibility because we had moved to this new city where we didn't have any relationships. It was just so that I could do this thing that I was interested in and passionate about. And so I did feel that, which is different than just a normal childhood experience. I think I didn't have one, so I can't say specifically, but as I imagine a normal childhood experience to be. And then another thing is, as a kid actor, we have a lot of friends that are kid actors. It's just how it goes. You meet them maybe at Oakwood Apartments, maybe you meet them at your homeschooling or your school that you go to, or you meet them on set or at acting class, however that goes. But you tend to hang out with a lot of other kid actors. And at a certain point, starting out, we're all on the same level. And then as we get older, you can start to see certain people are taking off. And that was very much true for me. So just specifically like on the set of even stevens the lead character on that show lewis was played by shia labeouf and as we were wrapping up that show shia started to work a ton and was doing you know pretty big movies out of the gate and then eventually becoming at least for a time the biggest movie star in the world and i was lucky to book a guest star and and i you know, very quick to recognize how talented Shia is, even when we were doing on that show. He's just a, a wonderfully gifted actor, and really deserves all all the work that that he booked, and and he's he's done such a good job with. But at a young age, it was hard to comprehend this gigantic gap that existed between being the biggest movie star in the world and being lucky to book a guest star. And emotionally, it can be. Rather difficult. You can be really happy for your friends, but wondering, well, you know, what's wrong with me? Well, what's the big- <laughs> we're both coming off of the same show here. And that's just a, a story to to illustrate what is a larger theme of of being a kid actor as we continue to pursue it and grow up. And some of us take off, and some of us are less successful moving forward. So those would be two things that stand out to me um is perhaps being difficult about the the child acting space. What about you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, on that note, to piggyback off that, I
0: you know, I, I think you're right. I mean, there's there's an even playing field for a long time with your peers when you're a kid actor, and then there does come a point where people's careers separate and start getting carved out because I, I really kind of believe that actors' careers in general, adult or kid, are fickle and unreliable and there's not a lot of job security and things can change in an instance for better or worse. And even if they change for the better, definitely doesn't last forever. It it can be a really frustrating business for, for actors in general, every now and then, like I'll see Anthony Hopkins and like Thor with some weird mask on. And I'm like, is he happy about this? Or is he in his trailer being like, Hey, I played Hannibal Lecter. Okay. And the elephant man, What, (laughs) what the fuck am I doing here? Like maybe there is something to, you know, Every actor is going to be frustrated, but you're right. I think when you're a kid, you know you have a very limited toolbox in terms of how to navigate the turbulence in in, in an actor's life. You know, especially as you're growing into adulthood, because you're contending with life <laughs> turning into an adult at the same time. So it's even trickier to contend with a a full, complicated, sometimes incredibly challenging career. So I, I feel the same. I mean, I grew up acting with actors. That you know have gone on to be nominated for the the biggest most prestigious awards that actors are given, and worked with some of the best directors and other actors on the planet, and that always always hasn't been the case for me. Uh, so you know I think that the the challenges of finding your identity and self worth amongst uh, the successes and failures of other people is really complicated. But for me, I, I think as a kid actor in particular, my biggest challenges were that my family uh, was pretty dysfunctional my mom had struggled a lot with drug addiction mental illness and so my home life could be very complicated and it affected my my work and it affected my audition processes and who i was when i could show up to things my mom also and side note is she also like really worked her ass off and busted her ass to get us some great opportunities and was really passionate and caring and not a stage mom so uh, it's a complicated thing, but it had a big effect, my my family life in particular. Also, my family's life was tied to my career in that how well or not well I did played a huge part in how my family was socially, economically, spiritually, and physically where we were, where we lived. you know, we also uprooted to Los Angeles where we didn't know a soul. We came over with weirdly, we came over with Ashley Tisdale and her mom as kid actors from New York but within 6 months you're like peace out we're moving to a different part of LA and you don't see anybody ever again and so there's there is a, we were very isolated in pursuing the endeavor and that was difficult and I don't know if I like you felt a responsibility towards being successful but I did always feel the difference in my home life depending on how my career was going and another side note is my mom spent a lot of my money that I made. Uh, thank God I got that Coogan account baby, but they, she even spent part of the Coogan account, so which we'll get into later. but you know she spent my money and my, the money my brothers were making at times um, recklessly and and that was obviously very challenging. Aside from that stuff, I think being in the business as an actor can be really with all the rejection and all the opinions and you being at the mercy of other people's decisions all the time is just inherently really difficult, it just can be. you know. I think the process of being an actor is one where you're vulnerable enough to really give of yourself to an audition or to a role, and the outcome has nothing to do with that process. It's completely different, how it's received, what people think, what the project even ultimately ends up being, and how that's received is a whole other thing, and they're very disconnected. And so for me, it was hard growing up because I would do something I really cared about and nobody cared. And then I would do something I didn't care about and people cared. And reconciling those two things was always very strange and very um, challenging at times. So do you want to talk a little bit about your relationship with your parents and your family? Because you also came out, you know, you came out to Los Angeles with your mom solo, and that doesn't always happen. I came out with my whole family. Is there a part of that that was ever really challenging for you? And I know your mom is listening and we love you, Kathy. And I know that she might... Snuff me out of my sleep. <laughs>
1: <We> <laughs> say, <laughs> even for asking the question,
0: <laughs> even for asking the question, I know. but but, you know, our moms, I think most kid actors will point to their mothers as being the predominant force <laughs> of their young careers, the person with them a majority of the time, at least a lot of the kid actors we knew. So it is perhaps the most important relationship I think a lot of kid actors have in their lives is the parent that comes with them to places. And so for you,
1: what were the best parts and the most challenging parts of that? Yeah. You know, and this is a question that I'm really interested to ask a lot of our guests as well, because the relationship of child actors to their parents is unique. And I'm so curious to hear the all of the nuanced versions of this story and and, and those relationships. So for me Don't. Don't tiptoe around. I'm the not, subject. I'm, so, uh, I'm, I'm going to get there. So for me, moved to Los Angeles with my mom. I'm 12 years old and we move into a one bedroom apartment at Oakwood. So I'm 12 years old, sharing a bedroom with my mom. Luckily there were two twin beds, but just starting out of the gate, I'm like, okay, this is different. Not this what is, you planned for. Yeah. <laughs> this is a little different. And then quickly realizing that all of the kids that I was meeting at Oakwood and becoming friends with, you know, typically we would like skateboard together or do something like that. They all stayed in one bedroom apartments with their mom. (laughs) (laughs) We were this weird gang. We were like, yeah, we share a bedroom with our moms. What are we going to do about it? (laughs) Some of us were in twin beds. Some of us were in bunk beds. And the thing is that when you're in a new town, whoever you move to that new town with, you get super close because all you really have are each other. Mm -hmm. And so my mom and I got super close and I, I, the youngest of three boys, but my brothers were seven and nine years older than me. So they were out of the house and, and at college and my parents were divorced. So it was just my mom and I. And during that time, like I said, we, we just got very close, but then, you know, as I, started to make more friends and do more things and was out of the house more, I oftentimes would feel kind of bad. Like, oh, I'm just leaving my mom alone. She's doesn't have any friends in Los Angeles and I'm mm-hmm. out there skateboarding and doing this. So there's that thing, which is unique and different amongst child actors. And then my father, as I was getting into the acting business, he was very much against it. Like, what what are you guys doing? You're moving to Los Angeles and you're going to go do act. Like, are you crazy? This is nuts. And then I would book jobs and be working on stuff. And like, this is great. My son, I'm so proud of (laughs) him. He's doing these jobs. You know, so it's like this push and pull back and forth kind of thing. But it was different to say the least. It was definitely different. And I, and you know, I lived with my mom for longer than many of my friends did. I think I was like (laughs) 23 when I moved out maybe I was older, maybe I was 24. I moved in with you actually. Yeah. And so that, like that by itself is kind of weird and different. I mean, I lived with my mom for way too long, And, uh, and even still, even then I felt a little bad <laughs> about it. Like I gotta go, I gotta move out. <laughs> I gotta go do my own thing. So um, maybe
0: there is, I think you're right. I mean, there's a slight amount of, and this is a, this word has a lot of, you know, stigma to it. So I don't mean it in the the full extent that it's usually is, but there is a bit of codependency. I think kid actors and their parents at times because it, you're really tied at the hip and you're in there. And I think for a lot of kid actors, most people don't realize, you know, you're there on the set and some sets you're really engaged with all the rest of the people you're working with. A lot of times it could just be you and your mom in a trailer. It's so true. And, and, And it could really just be the two of you, you know, or you and your dad. So I don't mean to exclude the dads at all, but you know, but it's you and your parent going through this Together and you know, there's a lot of times where it's just the two of you in a quiet room, just waiting yeah. around and doing some homework or you know reading. You know, me, I was playing a lot of Game Boy while my mom read Soap Opera Digest magazines. I, know, wanted so, a so bad, well, I wanted the Game Boy so no, bad. I wanted a Game I mean, Boy. God, thank God for the Game Boy. It passed all the time, but you know, but that's you know, the, there is a relationship forged there. I think that can get very complicated for many reasons as uh, you know it, as people it, get older. And,
1: it, and the other thing is, as we talked about a little bit before. As a child actor, you deal with an an overabundance of rejection going on auditions mm-hmm. and not getting jobs. And your parent, most of the time, is the person that picks you up and says, it's gonna be okay. You, you don't don't, don't let it get you down. Go on to the next one. And you know, if you play sports, well, how many games could you possibly play a week? I, I don't think you're playing three games a day yeah. like a lot of kid actors are doing on auditions and then being told no, 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 no. So there's all of these little things that forge this unique bond between parents and and child actors and yeah, uh, true. Yeah, very true. Yeah, my parents too. You know, my dad and my mom
0: were both very, very supportive, me and my brothers, and never ever held us to their own will in, in any capacity. You know, so when we really enjoyed it, we were passionate about it and we we made it more of a commitment when we felt we didn't or we were more passionate about school and sports. Uh, or any other interest in life than we, you know, we, for we, we let auditions fall by the wayside really easily. So, you know, I've always felt lucky in that my parents were very attentive and, you know, and listened to me and my brothers in our, our sometimes wavering interest in being kid actors. Hmm. Also too, little side note, which we'll get into, I'm sure further on down the road, but you didn't have this, but I also had, I had guardians growing up.
1: This is why your resume is so, so long. You have guardians that drive you to set. We are like, <laughs> Chris is Richie Rich.
0: No, I was not Richie Rich. It's just my home life was so crazy. I needed somebody to go bring me up to a set sometimes. And we found this lovely couple that became me and my brother's surrogate moms, lovely, wonderful women named Goldie and Alon, a mother-daughter duo that drove kid actors Around on auditions for a company they started called Little Star Shuttle. And <laughs> Little Star Shuttle, we became me and my brothers, their sole clients, and we all became family. I'm still very close to them to this day. But that was a big part of my experience. It was really unique because Alan and Goldie are these astonishingly beautiful, over six foot tall black women. And I would show up weighing about 88 pounds, about four foot 10 in a Star Wars t-shirt to a set with this beautiful, beautiful Amazonian tall giant. And they just, nobody ever understood what was going on. They didn't know how this (laughs) duo came to be, why we were together, who this person was, and we never cared to explain it to them. In fact, we had a lot of fun with it. I used to pretend Alon was my girlfriend and hold her hand and uh, kiss her cheek, and she <laughs> so she'd get really upset. But that was that was a big part of my experience too, which was really really unique. So let's talk a little bit about our lives now. You know, you ultimately decided not to pursue acting full time at a certain point. So why don't you quickly walk us through that process and tell us a bit about where you are now?
1: Well, I would say for me. It wasn't by choice. I had to move on from acting because I just wasn't working anymore, and it's like it happened overnight. I felt like I was at the peak of my career. This is probably 2006, 7, 8, somewhere in there, and I was working a ton. I was working more than I ever had. I'd finally been on a network television show as a series regular and i was auditioning more than things were just going as good as they could possibly go i was making more money was getting better jobs was more successful um and i felt like i had made the transition into adulthood because i'm like 21-ish years old at this point i was you know fully on the other side of puberty i was fully grown up i was you know who i was going to be as an adult now sure i was a young adult but i had Crossed over from child acting territory to adult territory, I had made the decision to move on from my child acting agent to a you know more adult agent, which is an incredibly traumatizing, difficult thing to go through, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later on, but I had done all of the right what seemed to me like all of the right steps to now pursue acting as my full time adult career and I'm not blaming this on the Great Recession, but the Great Recession happened right around this time, and also my career seemed to come to a halt overnight. I could not book a job to save my life, and nothing changed. Everything on my end, everything was the same. And so, after an, enough years of this—whatever that is, two years—not really working, needing to make money to in order to just live, I. Had ultimately my father owned um, a bar and I started bartending there because I, I didn't know what else to do. And it was during this period where I just really started to reassess and rethink. And I didn't stop acting fully, but I realized that I needed to look at all of the options available to me and see if there was some other career out there, something else that I could do that I may potentially have more control over my own destiny because that's one thing you learn in the acting business is you are so beholden to many, many other people in order to work and and do what it is that you, you you love to do for a living. So what that looked like for me is is putting together some pieces. And when I was about 13 years old, our very close friend, Andrew McFarlane, and myself had, had co-written a pilot together. So it was the first thing we had written. Uh, it was called The A-Team. It was, in our minds, our 13-year-old brains, hilarious, registered with the WGA. That was my first experience doing some writing. And then um, when you and I were in our late teens along with a couple of our other friends, we had uh, created a television show pilot and filmed something and and taken out and pitched it to, to all of the networks. And that was a really good experience. And I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit And I was remembering that time sitting on my father's couch watching Can't Hardly Wait and getting this feeling about this movie and how much I enjoyed that and realizing what I really, really enjoy is being a part of the entertainment industry, telling stories, making movies, making television shows. And it doesn't necessarily have to be acting. I have so many other things that I can bring to the table. So I reached out to some of the producers that I was closest with, and they happened to be the producers that that made even Stevens. And I just gave them a call and said, I'd really like to learn more about producing. Could you help me with that? And, you know, I'm so so grateful that they just welcomed me with open arms and said, Come on down, we'll show you the ropes. You can come intern with us. So I went down there and learned the ropes. They taught me so much. And then eventually they offered me a, an actual position there. And I started working in development, in kids and family development specifically, and this is about eight-ish years ago, and things really just snowballed from there. And I have built a career for myself as a, a full-time producer in the kids and family space, and I absolutely love it. And one of the things that always frustrated me about being an actor is you could be a great person, you could be wonderful to work with, you could have you know an incredible moral code nobody gives a shit You <laughs> to be the right person at the right time for the right role that's the only thing that matters and yeah. i always felt sort of gypped like well what am i doing? why do i have all of these other good qualities nobody cares yeah um, and working in this world it makes a much bigger difference i bet so for a, a multitude of reasons it's an incredible fit for me and uh, it's something i'm I'm so glad that I've made that transition. I'm so glad that I'm still a part of the entertainment industry in a way that is more fulfilling for me ultimately. So that's my transition story. Yeah, yours is different in that you you've only ever worked as an actor. You've always managed to support your lifestyle as an actor, and you still do today. What was that like for you? you You mentioned earlier having to reaffirm, that this was the pursuit you were going to make in life. What what was that transition like from kid to adult and then to today?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, what you kind of just said with, you know, (laughs) despite who you are as a human being, the entertainment industry just doesn't care. And that has no bearing on whether you get hired or not. I think is part of my story in that, I think for every single former kid actor, regardless of who you are, regardless of how successful you end up or not successful, regardless of how long you work or how long you don't you know i think every kid actor has to go through a transition into adulthood where if you continue to be an actor and continually decide that you have to start over you have to completely start over it's almost like your whole resume and all your experience gets wiped clean in many ways and i think this is true for every kid actor that you kind of maybe saw once that sticks out in your mind you don't even know their name just a little face or something or Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, or or Jodie Foster. I think each actor kind of has to end up reinventing themselves as an adult actor. And for good reason. Kid actors are totally different than adult actors. It's a totally different art form, I think in many ways. What's expected of you is completely different in many ways, not in every way, but in many ways. And so, you know, DiCaprio without doing Titanic, I don't know if he's the DiCaprio of today, you know. Romeo and Juliet DiCaprio is a young still a young boy in many ways. And so that transition has to happen for everybody. And for me, you know, my transition deciding to continue to be an actor was really difficult, was really challenging and for a few reasons. Before I get to those reasons, I just want to say I've always considered myself a middle class actor, meaning I I feel like I'm always about 8 or 10 months away from being really comfortable in my career or being destitute and quitting and hating the whole experience, which might be any actor's life, quite honestly, uh, or a lot of the people involved in the entertainment industry. But that's how I've, I've always felt. So I I'd, I'd also don't say that to sound whiny or complaining because I am very lucky. I have been able to carve out a life where I have solely been able to rely on acting as my source of income. And it's allowed me to continue doing that. And I've been appreciative. And I've always been able to work with people that I respect and admire. And that's really cool. But the move from being a kid actor into adulthood for me was really strange because it's the, when I turned 18, I did a movie called The Girl Next Door. And that movie at the time got me more attention within the entertainment industry than anything I'd ever done before. And it's right when I was becoming an adult. And it was also at the same time where I think I was really, really asking myself if this is what I wanted to do. So what was strange for me becoming an adult from a kid actor was that I was seeing more success in a way than I had ever seen in my life. And I also felt like what I was doing at that time was pushing it away. I feel like I was not ready. I was not in a headspace or you know, emotionally and spiritually to just be there and go with the flow and be as passionate as I have been ever since and was before about acting. And the business itself was really complicated to me. It all of a sudden got very complicated. I didn't understand it. And so my life went from just showing up at an audition, having fun to a lot more expectations, a lot more bigger pressures. This The simple way of explaining that to people is I went from just always auditioning with some sides. I never got a script to all of a sudden I had scripts to read and I would just go have lunches with people. And I was like, what are we doing here? What are we supposed to talk about? I don't understand what's going on. Like, you're just gonna have a general meeting. I was like, what does general meeting mean? I'm not acting for anybody. How do they know if I'm the right guy for this? Like there was so, it was so complicated to me and my family life at the same time was really the most challenging it had ever been. So for me, coming into adulthood was tricky. And I think what ultimately happened for me is I, when I sorted through enough of my own personal life and sorted through enough of my own successes and failures as an actor, I was left with one big question, which was Do I really care about performing? Do I actually really care about it? Is it something that fulfills me? And is it something that moves me? And what do I get out of it? And what do I want to give to it? And I was able to answer that in a way that felt satisfying to continue. You know, I was able to settle those questions. So I have ever since, and I've been really lucky. To kind of continue to work. And sometimes I've survived literally by the skin of my teeth, but I am here now and I'm appreciative. That's my transition to adulthood. I think we're also, as adults, aside from being kid actors, I think we've gone through The Ringer as any human being would. And I think we came out real well. I think we're healthy minded. We don't have legal troubles, we're not dealing with bankruptcy, and there isn't any drug abuse. At this time.
1: Yeah, they should put an asterisk on this Wikipedia page and then mention (laughs) that AJ and Chris uh, are not any of these (laughs) things, as well as many, many other kid actors. So,
0: another reason, AJ, we decided to name our podcast The Coogan Chronicles is because we wanted to ask former kid actors what they did with that Coogan account money once they actually got their hands on it. So, AJ,
1: tell us a little bit about what you did. You know, my problem. My problem was that I, in, in coming into contact with my Coogan account money, was, was thinking that I would just always have money. Like, <laughs> it, was, it was so easy you know, for so long that, of course, it's just going to stay this way. So I would spend money pretty freely on things. Now, I've always been somebody that tries to be responsible so i would i would very freely spend money on things that i considered responsible purchases so for me <laughs> a responsible purchase would be like an incredibly expensive film camera to take photographs with cuz it'll last forever and it's film and film will <laughs> never go away so i should just get this this is this will be great also with the band i would spend a ton of money on on musical equipment because i was going to you know be in a band forever and of, of course uh, this is this is for my career this is very important which i actually can still get behind and i'm also so thrilled that i spent the money on the camera back then because i would never buy it again today and i'm so glad that i have it and then i did some actually responsible things like i, I bought a house that I, my mother and i lived in and i just never got into like i wasn't going to clubs and stuff with you guys so i didn't really have an <laughs> opportunity to spend money on stuff like that it was honestly just like a ton of guitars a house, a camera. I mean, I'm saying this stuff out loud right now, and I'm like, yeah, good job, AJ. Yeah, good job,
0: AJ. You seem really responsible, but I get it. We I think a lot of kid actors will relate to that in that, you know, so you if you get that money at 18 or whenever you're emancipated, whenever you're legally allowed to get that money and things are going really well for you, you might spend in a way that five years later you kick yourself for because you're like totally, you know, and and, and I know some kid actors feel like that, some kid actors didn't and I think it is, you know, you, you made a lot of responsible decisions. I made a lot of irresponsible. Yeah, decisions. dude, I want to hear yeah. about them. Yeah. I,
1: I was with you for a lot of them You so. were
0: with me for a lot of irresponsible decisions and irresponsible in that. I mean, I don't regret as single choice I made. I really don't. Uh, although I do wish that occasionally that I was a little smarter with my money, but I, I don't regret anything because I had a really good time. I had a really good time in my late teens and early twenties. And we had a lot of friends that we shared a lot of really important, I think, character building experiences with for years. And I, and the money that I got from my Coogan account allowed me a certain amount of freedom and lifestyle that was really great that I really cherish, you know, regardless of the fact that as you put it, uh, I spent some time in some clubs. I was a little club slut for a second. <laughs> and it really, uh, it was really fun. And I think the only difference is I would have been at the clubs regardless, probably from time to time. You just wouldn't have but had a table. I just wouldn't have had a table. That's really it. I just wouldn't have found it so comfortable to say, How much is this table? Cool, done. Slap it on the credit card. I think that's it. But I did I did do dumb stuff. I bought I my first car was like my dad's old used Toyota RAV 4. It was like a piece of shit. It was awesome. And then I got my Coogan account money a year later, and I was like, No, dude, I'm getting a Lexus. And so I went and got a really nice car. I put 20 inch rims on it and a sound system that made car alarms go off as I passed by, you know, and I got real silly, I think, with some money in those respects. But I also, you know, I also bought my parents a house. That was a majority, that was a big chunk of my coupon account money went to the down payment on a house for my parents that my brothers lived in, that I lived in in a very short time. And you know, and so as irresponsible as I could be in certain ways, I, you know, I did some good with that stuff too. Yeah. I don't ever feel like I made a specific instance, a specific decision that uh, I completely regret or is totally embarrassing.
1: What about when you embroidered
0: the back seats of your Lexus? With <laughs> yeah, the Lexus symbol? just got into the car. Exactly. I embroidered the and, seats. And it was a lease that I leased. Exactly. For a car that I had to return that was not mine that I did not own. Because I just figured, why not? Do you
1: regret that one, or do you? you still I guess I had that one.
0: No, I love it. You know, I love it <laughs> only only in that that was my obsession for a year of my life was just this car. That's yeah, it was. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had your music equipment, I had this car. You had embroidered
1: it seats. They exactly. were some embroidered
0: seats, and all they all that was was the Lexus symbol. If if, if anything, I wish I would written something funny on them. You know, that's all.
1: So Chris, moving forward, I think there's a few things we want to mention in terms of how we plan to conduct these interviews with other former child actors and just kind of throwing out some some groundwork or some framework for these conversations. Exactly. Yeah,
0: I think it's important to tell people, right, that we're not journalists, that we are not approaching this like journalists, despite the fact that these are going to be interviews. Uh, And I think it's only important because, you know, we're going to do our best, I think, in navigating information as it comes to us. And I guess what I really mean to say is this, you and I do not want to watermark these conversations with our own attitudes and perspectives on kid acting. You know, We're not trying to push any particular point of view or agenda here. We don't condone or condemn any particular facet of kid acting. And that's important to say out loud and try to always remind ourselves of as we explore these conversations with former kid actors.
1: One other thing worth mentioning is that all of these conversations are going to be retrospective. So we're not talking to people that are currently pursuing acting as as kids. All of this is going to be with people that have had the benefit of time and distance and getting their point of view now as adults looking back at that situation. There's always the chance down the road, maybe we interview some some kid actors that are are currently pursuing it. But as of right now, it's it's gonna be folks that grew up in it, are now adults, and we're looking back. Yep. Have made it through
0: the fire. Well, this is us, guys. We're really excited you're here. I think I can leave us with this, AJ. One thing I didn't talk about is one of the most remarkable things in my life as a kid actor is that my social life brought me to you and to Andrew McFarland, to our other best friend here, as well as many of our close friends. And I'm really proud that you and I can share our friendship through these conversations with people. And uh, I'm always so appreciative of our friendship and that it came from my pursuit in acting as did yours. I just think that's a really beautiful, wonderful thing. And I love it. Yeah,
1: super cool. I love you. you. Know that makes me super uncomfortable. I love I you love
0: yeah there Uh it is you said it out loud was it terrible
1: Uh, it was terrible yeah we can say it again i love you (laughs) okay bud let's (laughs) uh let's wrap it up we're looking forward to future future conversations and having all of our guests on here and yeah, yeah we'll we'll talk to everybody soon thanks so much guys